this, I used to be a cop. You want some sexy? You want to laugh? Licensed to talk. License to Talk is sponsored by Goodspeed Beverage Center, 2202 Seneca Street. They got seltzers, heavy beers, light beers. Stop in, quench your thirst at Goodspeed Beverage Center. First in Buffalo, Fireman owned and operated 391 Abbott Road custom t-shirts, custom hats. Get your custom gear at First in Buffalo. Mr. Submarine, 1977 South Park Avenue, serving South Buffalo since 1963. Lowest prices in town, try the ham sub. Bottle Rocket Beer Reserve, they are stocked and ready to rock. 2182 Seneca Street, burgers and bottles. They got everything going on. Friday nights, Saturday nights, stop by on their Instagram. The Rocket is stocked and ready to rock for you. Bob's Barbershop, 2098 Seneca Street. You got a call, we're back into that bullshit again. 716-207-9210. You got a call, you'll talk Blue Jays baseball. License to talk. You got to see the action there on Seneca Street. Vinyl Vibes. Check out Vinyl Vibes on the gram at Vinyl Vibes Buffalo. Vinyl stickers, decals, custom designs created by our boy Quails at Vinyl Vibes. Charlie's Boatyard. They got the season off. 1111 Furman Boulevard. They'll be back at you with great fish fries, great service, and delicious drinks at Charlie's Boatyard. And of course, Dog Ears Bookstore. 688 Abbott Road. Don't get your coffee from Timmy when you can get it from Tommy. And uh, don't forget, we got a new, we are listener supported now, Marky. We are now on Patreon. All you got to do, click on our social media. It's $3 a month. New content. We have stories from the second floor, the first movie. Edgewood to Hollywood, our second movie. And now our new movie created animation by Mark Barrett himself. A Natural Gas, starring Wilbur Fulton. Check it out. More to come. You never know what's going to come on the Patreon. Podcast is free. Check us out. $3. Just like buying a beer. You can't buy a beer. You can't tip a bartender. So help us out. Thank you, and have a good year. All right, Marky. Episode 60. Dan Rudman has joined us in an undisclosed location. Undisclosed. Yes. I... He was born in 1971, 89. He went to uh, the daycare center on McKinley and BPD till 2018. I Welcome was. to the program. Thanks for having me, gents. Yeah, I'm, um, I'm honored and privileged that you want to talk to me. Well, it starts out being a paper boy, like yes. any good guest. Yes. Yeah. All of our best. Yeah, I was a paper boy. And uh, you know what's funny is, uh, again, the way times change. And I don't know if anybody's talked about it before, but I mean, when I was a kid, having a paper route like our parents i mean our parents didn't hand us money like like they didn't give you money so you had to have money and one of the ways to get money when you were like i don't know eight or nine <laughs> at, you know, child labor laws but you would at, at the corner of hollywood and abbott over here was mr pepperos and uh there would be a hundred kids out there waiting for the paper trucks to come and you'd stand up there and and you got like willed it some guys had older brothers and some guys had, and they would get a root, and other guys, I didn't have any brothers. So I had to hang out up there and wait for somebody to say, you want to be my helper? And uh, that's how I met uh, Tommy. And uh, he's like, hey, you want to be my helper? You know, we had the left side of Abbott from Hollywood to Downing, and then we had Downing Street. Um, so that's how I started out. And uh, But it's amazing because that was something that was around back then that isn't anymore. It was this 
the way papers were delivered, and everybody got a paper. And, and at that time, early on, I think the Courier was still around, at least till the early 80s, mm-hmm. 83 or 84 or something. Yeah. I think, yeah, so I was a paper boy. Yeah, a paper boy helper. I didn't have my own route. I quit before that happened. Those, you had to get out those little stubs to everybody. I want my $2. I want my Join, $2. Better off dead. Joining us on the fourth bike is uh, your buddy Dave Vogel, uh, good your friend. lawyer. You know, brought my attorney, my advisor, Dave Vogel, who's yeah, advised me on yeah. many things in life, but uh, that's my pal. As my, a old, lawyer, my old roommate uh, at Sluggers on Abbott Road and uh, the old Drabix. It was air-conditioned, if you remember the sign when you were younger. Oh, yeah. But uh, we lived there. Um, many good times there. Uh, Jack Fahey, our buddy Michael and Joe Fahey's dad, owned it. God back rest at, his soul. God rest his soul. But uh, the Slugger. And uh, we lived there, and then I, when I got on the police department, I bought a house over on Dundee, and uh, me and Dave lived there for a while, a lot of good times. Um, yeah, Sluggers was a great place. Growing uh, up, did you want to be a police officer? That's what that's what I hear. Well, I tell you, I as a young kid, I it was something my dad did, like anything else. You know, my father and my father. I mean, Dave knows my dad. My dad's kind of a humble guy. My mom's super outgoing. My mom's a great lady, but my dad's a really smart but humble guy. Like he's a real quiet guy. Like he'll talk to you, but he doesn't. He's not a flamboyant or flashy guy. But he and he wasn't like that as a police officer. But uh, it was always in my life. I grew up around the police department. Um, my dad's friends. A lot of my dad's friends were police officers and uh, firefighters. My whole my dad's whole family were firefighters down on uh, in the ward on. Uh, Engine 8 on Chicago, which I think is closed now, but they all worked there, like my dad's uncles and stuff. His grandfather um, was a firefighter. But my dad was a first cop in the family, I think. I'm pretty sure. And he 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 just did his job and did his thing, but he didn't lead me either way or that. But as I started getting older, I don't know, I can't... Maybe it's because the way I was brought up and what I grew up with, um, I, uh, I kind of leaned toward the police department. Um, and I, I started focusing. I'm, I'm, I started focusing on getting on the the department when I was younger. I think I got on when I was 22 or 23. And there were guys in the neighborhood that hung around, muds and stuff, who were cops. And I thought oh, this would be a, you know, something to try out. And I and I, I I did it, and I have absolutely no regrets. It was, it was oh sure great to me. Um, it was great to my family. It was great to my dad. Growing up, I mean, we didn't have tons of money growing up. I need to be the paper boy, but no, not to say that my parents, but it just was a different world back then, you know, uh, but getting back to the police. Yeah. I, and I, I focused on it and I did it and I don't, I don't regret any of it. You know? We've never really, have we had a police officer on the program yet? My oh, wife yeah. was on oh, twice, yeah. but I don't think she talks about it. You're right. My we're, we're promoting she's the, got the more great stuff. bucks. She's got more interesting things to talk about than I do. Books <laughs> yeah. and stuff. I've gone from being, are you Dan Redmond to our Lisa Redmond, are you Lisa Redmond's husband? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I know, but. Uh, well, that's an accomplishment. That's yes, good. very big, yes. Yeah. But um, You married up. Uh, I did. Yes, thank you, David. Uh, that's why I'm here, Dan. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> always for the moral support, but. um. I don't. Th- I don't know if you did. I listened to most of your podcasts. And let me say, by the way, guys, I, I think what you guys do here is great because oh, thank uh, you. I tell you what, uh, especially around here, growing up and meeting people, you guys are kind of like I don't know, cataloging stories that otherwise, as time goes by, I'm sure there's great stories from 100 years ago that nobody talks about. But you guys are doing a good thing, and some of the guests you've had are uh, super interesting people. Um, oh, but you guys are doing a good thing, and I really like what you guys are doing. Well, thanks for being a part of it. Thank this you. Is- thanks for having us. Yeah. Yeah. Cheers. 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 Cheers, boys. Happy New Year. Happy New Year.
Well, you worked in the police academy that we'll bring up later, correct? I worked there afterwards. Yes. Right. So we'll go back we'll go yes. back to that later. But uh walking in, you know, my wife, she's a police officer. Mm-hmm. She went in and that's a lot of work. Yes. I don't think people understand the shape that you have to be in. Yeah. A lot of these guys find out the hard way they get they get in there, ah fuck, I was an athlete, I'll just yeah. get in there. Don't work like that anymore. How was it back then? It was the same. The state the state has standards that they always set for everybody, and you have to pass them. Yeah. I want to say, I, I might be wrong on the numbers. It's been a while, but, uh, you know, they had a certain time you had to do the run. I think you had to do 33 push-ups in a, in a couple of minutes, but I can't remember. And those were, like, legit. So many push there are, you know, they're... They're fist. Legit. Yeah. Yeah, sit-ups, the sit-and-reach thing where you had to touch your toes, which is always hard for a, a giant person like me. <laughs> um, and... It was always standardized, so I don't know what the standards are now. Again, I haven't, I don't keep up on it, but it's like anything else in life. If you want to do it, you're going to do it. If yeah. you don't, you don't. And um, it was, it was, you know, it was. I, I like the academy. Uh, you know, they throw a lot at you, uh, and you learn a lot of things. You got to know your laws and what you're going to, you know, all oh, that sure. stuff. It's like anything else, but it's, uh, it, you know, they try to teach you things that you're going to need. Um, when you get out and you graduate. Um, but it's like one of those things, it's like, you know, the only way you really learn the job is by doing it. So when you're out there and you get out there and like, I was lucky enough when I got on the job, there's a guy who was a, a old time police officer. And I think he got on in the mid sixties and he was teaching at the Academy when I was in there and he was teaching us. So he was like a mentor to me in the Academy. And then he transferred back to the precinct. Uh, right when we graduated, he transferred back. So, he could retire and um i wound up riding with this guy so the guy i had in the academy was one of the first people i rode with and he was like my dad's era of time i mean when he started and he started when i started i i worked in um precinct five which was on ferry and grant which uh you know they when i got on they had precincts and they were transitioning into the districts yeah i was uh, gonna ask you about that yeah they uh I think there was 14 precincts when I got on and they, they started closing and consolidating them. But I first started at precinct five and it was really neat. It was right by Lenovo over on Grant and Ferry. Um, and I rode around with this guy who had started there in the mid sixties and he walked the post, walked the beat, um, on Grant street. And he, you know, he didn't even get, get in a car until a few years after. But back then those guys, like even my dad's time, you get on the job, they're like, you know, here's your, Here's your stick and your hat, and your go walk. Uh, you know, go walk the streets. Yeah. And check the doors, and you know, um, you know, Buffalo. Buffalo is an older city by uh, standards, not as old as Boston or that, but we're pretty old. Uh, so a lot of these cities were set up that way with the you know the old time cop and the call boxes, and um, you know, everybody remembers Sean Connery from the uh, Untouchables with his call box key, you know. But uh, those guys. Those guys, he was he was a good guy to learn from because he was he was seasoned. He'd been through a lot. He'd been through the '60s. I mean, by the time I got with him, he was 30 years in, as patrol. And those guys, you know, was by those, the time those guys get on, they're they're just he was just a a really good guy to learn from, and he was good to be around. And I think, to be honest with you, he taught me a lot of things like um, like a bar fight would come out, and these other guys would go 100 miles an hour, and he'd be driving, and be like. You ever been in a bar fight? And I'd be like, eh. he'd be like, you want to get in a car accident going to a bar fight? You know, just get there and do what you got to do. By the time we get there, they're all going to be hugging each other. Right. You know, like he prioritized things, you know, don't get excited about this. And I kind of, 
he kind of, uh, I don't know, shaped the way I turned out, I think, in terms of the way I viewed things. And, um, you know, don't get excited, you know, calm down, we'll handle this. You know, he was a good guy. He's, he's dead now, God rest his soul. But uh, he was a really neat guy to learn from. Yeah, so I kind of uh, went off on the academy oh. there. But I had an advantage uh, that I don't know if a lot of cops do. So, like, one of the instructors in our cat in the academy that was a Buffalo guy, I ended up riding with him when I first got on out on the street. So I kind of got taken. I was lucky. You don't see that very often. Anymore. And like that was like police no. work. Like it's changed, right? Yeah. Uh, policing. I don't. You know. I. It's, I. I honestly don't think so. I think we all think it is, but I think basically the way it's done is different, but. The way you do it, I think, is always it's it's a people job, mm-hmm. and I always tell people if you if you want to be a a police officer, or even you know firefighter, or or you know Dave is in the healthcare field. If you can't talk to people, you're in trouble. Mm-hmm. You're not gonna like I, I have the gift of gab, obviously, um, but you have to be able to communicate. Yeah, Dave did a harumph. <laughs> but if you can't talk to people in any of these fields that you get into, if you get into any industry where you're dealing with people, if you, if you can't communicate and kind of talk to people, you're in trouble. I mean, you really are. Yeah. If you're like a person who's like, oh, I don't care what this person thinks, or you know, you have to be able to talk to people. And, and the police job is is that you have to be able to talk yeah. and figure things out and get people to, you know, uh, tell you. Tell you what you want to hear, but also tell you what you want to know in terms of uh, what's going on here, and you know, um, now I don't think it's changed that much. I really don't. I don't I, maybe the climate changes, but it's always the you know the pendulum. You know, it's it's always going to swing around. And but I think cops out there right now, as we're talking, answering calls, are probably doing the same thing. You know, mm-hmm. uh, just in different ways with different technologies. Yep. Uh, there's a lot more. Nowadays, there's a lot. It, it's the technology has been introduced, just right. like anything else in our lives. Uh, like when I got on the job, you got in a car with a with a metal board, and literally it was a, there was a radio in the middle, and they call you on the radio. You would answer, and they'd give you the call. You'd write it on your log sheet, and you know you would have your reports there, and you'd write that. In the end, you'd turn everything was paperwork. Uh, we didn't. I don't even know. We had a teletype machine when I got on the job. Uh, it was, you know, they would send it out from, and I, I we did. And that was the night. I mean, that's not that long ago. Mm-hmm. Whereas now everything's computerized. Uh, you know, they do their reports. I think they do their reports right in the car on their laptop. And that stuff came, at, you know, through my career. But in the beginning, it was like it was in 1950. Wow. In was, terms of the technology. Did you come out in, like, the crack pandemic, basically? Yeah, uh, epide- epidemic, yeah. Epidemic, I, uh, <laughs> epi- yeah, pandemic, it's yeah, on our words, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah I, uh, you know, 90s Buffalo, uh, I, I think, we have to look it up, I, highest highest crime rates, shooting rates, a lot of people fighting over the trading of the drug, killing each other, shooting each other, uh, over the actual uh, economy of crack and cocaine and um, devastated a lot of families, devastated a lot of neighborhoods. Uh, really a sad time. Um, you remember you told me about that driver's license? The yeah. guy had the two driver's license two on driver's him? license, yeah. This guy, we stopped him, and he had two driver's license on him. And when he started, you know, he was a healthy-looking guy. And then toward the end, he, he looked like a, a, a skeleton, you know. Yeah. I think I, yeah. Toward the end. Yeah, and it was like, wow, you know. But, uh, I've still, you know, it, you know, again, with the drugs and how how far we've come, um, you know, I'll get into that later if you want. But I kind of 
came on in the crack epidemic and kind of left during the opioid epidemic. So I kind of... It's wild. I saw that full circle uh, in terms of like... So I, so I worked at five on the west side, um, and then that closed, I want to say, 96 or 97, and it got consolidated. And I went over to the east side uh, as a patrol officer at Precinct 11, which at that time was combined with Precinct 8, uh, which was on, 8 was on Fillmore and Broadway, and um, 11 was on Lovejoy Bailey area. We were all just the whole area. So that, that was bombed by uh, Jefferson to the city line. Uh, if you, I'm just trying to give you guys an idea of where it mm-hmm. was. But um, I went over there, worked there for a while. Uh, it was a very uh, busy, interesting place to work. And I worked with a lot of, you know, again, I spoke about the guy I got out with, I got out, when I got out of the academy, I, I rode with, but I, I also had the opportunity on the police department to work with a lot of really good people. And I had a lot of great bosses over the years, like lieutenants. Like the lieutenants, uh, lieutenants are, uh, I always look at you, Mark, for the fire department, but they're, you know, they, they kind of, the cohesion and the, the platoon and, and like I always had great bosses. Um, Camaraderie, keep it fresh. Yeah, and they were good cops. Uh, yeah. A lot well, of them you... were, were good supervisors. They were good leaders. They they knew what to do. There was times on the job you need to know what to do. Like, you know, um, they knew how to handle things and they and they were, you know, just class acts, a lot of these these folks. Uh, you know, some alive, some dead, but uh, they were they were good. And the cops I work with uh, were, were good. You know, I... I not every single one of them, but I'm telling you what, I work with a lot of people that I, you know, I'm going through in my mind right now that are just, they were just. You can learn something from a lot of people. Yeah. Like you don't have to take everything from every great or bad person, but you can probably take good from. You're 100% right, and Mark, and, and like it's like anything in life, and we all do it at our jobs. Like I would try to do more of that, but then you look at another guy and go, I'm not going to do that. Like I don't want to do what that guy's doing. Um, and But I was always surrounded by, you know, I always wound up in good places on the, on the police department. Even even when, like, I... So I became a detective in the early 2000s. And then I um, I was a district detective by that time at C, which was uh, 8, 11, and 12 combined. So I wound up working as a detective with the guys I work with as a police officer. And... Uh, I had a really good partner there who also came from my platoon, and me and him knew the people. We knew the, all the cops we worked with knew everybody, and um, we made some good cases and had some really interesting cases back then. But um, so I and then they had the city budget crisis. I think it was two thousand two. Oh yeah, if I remember it correctly, and they laid a bunch of people, uh, a bunch of cops off. I yeah. got demoted uh, because you know it, it's a domino effect they laid a low guy totem pole mm-hmm. yeah i yeah. was i was low on the detective totem pole and there's jobs in the budget they cut the jobs if you're here you're getting you know a lot of guys hey I, i'm not complaining about it you know a lot of guys got laid off you know and uh, i got i went back to patrol after being a district detective and then i uh went back to i went downtown for like four or five months to be district as a police officer again and then i went uh back to C district where I worked before. And then I waited for, you know, you wait for your chance to come up when somebody retires. And then I went to narcotics and I, and I, I went to narcotics. I want to say in Oh three. And I got into the, the, the narcotics unit there. And that's interesting. It's interesting. Sad. Uh, 
there's a guy I used to work with who used to tell me, you know, this job is a front row seat in life. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, and, and even in my narcotics career, like I, I worked just the city narcotics squad with a great crew of guys. It's great sergeants, great lieutenants, just great guys. Uh, good, good detectives, good, good narc guys. And I learned from them, you know, and, um, we were we 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 were pretty active. Uh, we, you know, we were we were uh, doing a lot of search warrants, a lot of buy bus, and uh, a lot of things like that. Um, I was talking to a guy recently. Mm -hmm. He was in another department, mm -hmm. another city. Mm -hmm. He goes, "You're never gonna fucking guess what these guys are doing. They're going and buying fentanyl yeah. in line with masks on, six feet apart." Yeah. Sure. <laughs> it's like I, you know, I. I mean the irony. Though. I know it's the irony. You know, um, I got a funny story that I'm not going to tell about that. But, <laughs> but no, I, I. So, anyways, getting back to what I was saying. So we were we were hyper concentrated on crack, and the, the you know, again, the, the the police department is 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 responding to all these people are getting shot. There's gunplay. There's crack houses. You know, and, and, and these crack houses would open up in these neighborhoods, and it would be like, you know, anybody who has a bad neighbor realizes, oh, my God, like these crack houses would have, you know, uh, people 24-7, cars pulling up, all kinds of stuff going on, maybe a couple of shots fired there, and the people in the neighborhood would be like, we, we, we got to get rid of this. So do something about the house. They'd call their councilman, and we, we were, you know, get a complaint about it. We'd go out there and try to do what we need to do. But, you know, so we were going after crack, and, and you know, I think around the early 2000s, I, again, I was, like, right at the, the, you know, my career time. We would start getting pills and stuff in the houses, like Laura Tabs, and we'd be like, what are all these pills coming from? Yeah, you know, what, the, what are these, they, taking the vitamins? Yeah, and we're like, <laughs> yeah, but, but we would look at them and identify them, and they were, they were opiates, you know? Now, back, do you got the phone at that time, or are you going by, like, a chart you guys got? You used to have a book. A book, uh, much like, uh, like in the old days, they had a Haynes directory. It was called. I don't know if you guys know what that. It's a giant phone book, and you can look up. Yeah, it, it, that's how we look up phone books. But we used to have to call if we didn't know what it was. We would call. They're a great help to us. Uh, poison control, and it's a resource we used to use. And we call them up and say, "This is what we got," and they would tell you what it was. Mm -hmm. um, but so, anyways, and then. And at the time, again, my experience, there was very few areas. There were areas that were heroin areas. We knew, you know, there were certain areas of the city that they sold heroin in, and, you know, only certain areas. And it started expanding, and we started seeing more and more. So the transition kind of went from crack, and then we started seeing the pills. And what would happen is people started getting prescribed these pills, and they started getting addicted to them. And they were trying to sell them. People would try to sell them to one another. But then they became so expensive. I think, again, this could have changed. It was a dollar a milligram, I think, at the time. So these one pill would be, you know, a 60-milligram pill or whatever, 40-milligram pill. And what happened was these were opiates. So what's the next choice is people are going to start looking for another opiate. Well, what's cheaper? It's heroin. So uh, we started seeing the, um, the heroin coming back based on this 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 pill uh exchange you know and a lot of kids uh, you know started devastating a lot of families well then jimmy you mentioned fentanyl came in i didn't even know what it was yeah it's right massive painkiller 
and they used to come on the patches. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and we would get people that we go there, and there'd be all these medical patches uh, ripped up, and they would you know, gel, and people would eat the gel. It was, it was wow. bizarre. And um, well, then what happened on a on a on a global level is, uh, it was you know it was it was a pharmaceutical. It was made by pharmaceutical companies. Well, you know, they started making it in cl- clandestine labs, uh, in in other countries and offshore places. And that started getting put in with, they started mixing it. And I always thought, you know, the guys mixing these things, they're not chemists. They're just like, put a little of this in there and put, you know. Right. And you started getting these. Yeah. And you started getting these, these overdoses. And that, that to me, more so than crack, I've never seen um, anything like that in terms of the amount of death and destruction uh, that this stuff has caused. Uh, and I worked with a guy at Homicide who was there for 20, 25 years. He was an old-time detective, and I used to talk to him, but he goes, this is, I mean, we used to get two or three ODs a day, you know, sometimes when these bad batches would come in, mm-hmm. and the guys in Homicide, and we'd be running around, um, and these are all people, you know, that got addicted and went through that transition into the illicits, and I've seen it destroy, and not just, I mean, <laughs> I mean, people from all over, all walks of life. It was, sure. it was really, it was a sad. It's a sad, it, and you know, they came up with uh, Narcan now, which saves a lot of lives. But I've never seen anything like it. Um, and they got, they got it on their fucking next to their crackers. Mm. You know, but you know, you always look at things like you try to. Again, I always try to figure figure out how people work, and like as a parent, like if your kid was on that, you would definitely have that with you you know what i mean because it's your kid yeah your, your yeah. views change on things I, not views but i'm saying like always again in the job trying to understand and i mean i've done you know we used to have to go notify people uh and you know devastation these people go through it's it's a terrible thing and i i hope it's getting i think they just did a documentary last night national documentary where Buffalo yeah. was mentioned oh, yeah. but uh some of these communities are just devastated by it and um it's a sad thing and i hope it change i hope something changes but uh like I say, I don't, I don't know. But uh, going back a little bit, like your transition from a cop to a detective, was that a pressure? Did you want to do that? Was, was it just moving well, forward? Or was that the progression? Timing for me, they gave a detective's exam, uh, the first detective's exam when I was a young patrol officer, and everybody took it. So I took the exam. Uh, it seemed to be something to interest me, and and I took the exam, and I, you know, they they had a list, and they got to me on it. So I. Kind of just took that. Uh, I took that route departmentally. Whereas, like my dad, my dad was an inspector. He was more of a supervise, like a supervision rank guy. I kind of went the investigative side. He, he was a um, inspector on the job, which would be like our. At the time, they're 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 not. I, I think there's only a few left now. But at the time, they were. Uh, we called him the duty officer, but they were like the watch commander. Trench coat, top hat, guys. He wore a trench coat and a top hat. Uh, <laughs> my dad, but it, toward the end, yeah, my dad had a pipe. My dad was, oh my god, yeah, my dad was. I swear, <laughs> it, was, it was the picture. Yeah, yeah, yeah as my buddy Dave said, anybody who grew up with me, my father, uh, you know, quintessential uh, Irish hat, you know, or he wore like the 
Like those? the punch Imlec hat. Yeah, with the fr- feather on yeah. the side, trench coat. But at the end of his career, they made him wear uniforms. But back when they didn't, he he looked the part. But that's just who my dad was. My dad was a pipe-smoking guy. One more thing, ma'am. It, well, Are you we talking were, about Columbo? Well, my we, dad watches Columbo. Now, last night, we were talking about Columbo. Because when you think about the famous detectives in the movies and the shows, yeah. whatever, Columbo's got to be the first one. And we were the talking first about, famous? No, well, just like the just one like perfect. that you got what he was doing. You know, yeah. you know, you were like, okay, Columbo's yeah. doing his thing. People like Columbo. Yeah, yeah. but There's, like, was there was there a, like a tactics thing that you guys had to learn? Was the you know good cop bad cop was that rule that's, all? That's you know that happens. Uh, again, though, like I I tell you, you have to really be a people person. I, I yeah. swear, yeah. like like if you could figure somebody out, if you could talk your way into you know what you needed to, to do and figure somebody out. You, you were good at it, you know, and, and there were uh, cops that were way better than me at it. There were guys, you know, they were good, you know, guys and girls that were good at that stuff. But uh, you probably got better as you... You get better, yeah. you learn things, and, you know, you, you know, uh, but, you know, some of the people, like, in the drug world, like, they were, they were, they were savvy people, you know what I mean? They, especially in the, the dealer level, and I, and I got more exposed to that when I went from regular narcotics, I think in 2008 or nine, I went to the DEA task force and I worked there as a, um, task force, uh, agent officer. So it was made up of you know, Buffalo cops, DEA agents, sheriffs, troopers, uh, Hamburg, every, everybody. And we worked on a crew there and we got into, uh, so now I'm going from the, you know, the, uh, the stuff in Buffalo to the stuff coming in from all over. And we did cases and, you know, uh, all over New York City, Atlanta, uh, the Caribbean, um, Mexico. Uh, that crew does good work. Still, kind of. What's still, that? That crew does good work. They're good. Guys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Those those guys are uh, unsung heroes in the in the fight, as all as all police are. But, um, and I started. I kind of took it from the bare bones, at least in my career, the bare bones crack house, and now you're up, you know, chasing guys around who think you know, a, a half a million dollars is nothing if they lose it, you know, and you're like, well, that's when you're like, I don't know. But, you know, they're bringing in, you know, massive kilograms of cocaine. You can't even, like, you can't even fathom what's going on. And you're like, man, this is a really big operation. You know what I mean? You go from, you know, uh, grabbing a guy with a couple ounces or, you know, 300 bags of crack to grabbing a guy who's moving, you know, 150 kilos you know you're like whoa this is insane yeah. and and that, that the higher up you get the, the, the stakes are higher for people too you know and, and if you get a guy who knows oh man if i if i'm not talking because i'm gonna you know yeah um you know, other places aren't the same as as, as as the united states in terms of that stuff uh you know reasons i can't go into but you know i don't know how i would be if uh Every day I drove to work, like in some countries, people are hanging underneath the uh, three-way viaducts. And and you, you talk about doing criminal investigations. It starts with solid ground facts. Yes. You can't go on, well, you know what? Like Nowadays, you hear a lot of conspiracy theories, and we'll talk about that sure. when we talk about history. But um, you can't go on hearsay. No. And that's what I, I think the public doesn't realize. Like, you have to go on 
No, we have to start here. This is the facts. This is the facts of our case. This is the start of our case. Can't go on hearsay. Well, it's an excellent story. So, again, everybody views the police as, and, and people forget this, the police are this or that, or they're, 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 the police are the biggest representative of government that we see. Why? They're around 24-7. They're called to so many different things. But, like, when a case comes... The police are only one cog in a in a wheel of the criminal justice system, right? And you can't. I don't want. I, I don't want to live in the world like I always thought of, like the old days where they would have uh, witches, and they would say, <laughs> "You're a witch." Like you read about. I mean, an interesting thing to read about is how people go, is the Salem witch trials. Uh, yeah, people people were like, "You're a witch," and and you know back then they had a thing. I think they'd throw you in the in, in the water with a rock on you, and if you <laughs> no seriously, if you sank. You were a, a witch, and if you floated, you or if you either way, if you sank, you were a witch, or if you so you're gonna if you die sank, either way. <laughs> if you sank, no, if you sank, you were a witch, and if you floated, you were a witch. So everybody sank. That must not, but how long was the rope? <laughs> yeah, I mean, but they didn't different like, for everybody. You know, yeah, and, and the the hysteria of things based on what people said. So right, you know, the the reason the criminal justice system is where it is now is because yeah, you need facts. You don't want where somebody thought, oh my god. So and so did this, and the, and and a mob of people marches down to your house, and you're convicted and 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 and, and killed right there because of what the mob thinks. The right. Rule, the rule of law isn't just the rule of the police; it's the rule of law, meaning every case is taken on an individual basis. Everybody has a right to to, to have you know a defense, and you can't just say, "Oh, so and so said this." You have to have facts, and the DAs are who are the people who prosecute the case. That they need to, that to like the, and it's going to come down to well, what are the facts of the case? Yes. So to answer your question, you have to make a case. You can't just say you know, so and so said Jim Crean did it, and uh, I'm just going to lock him up for it. You can't do that. You have to have cases and facts, and and that's what the uh, the public is isn't realizing right now because there's just so much mass communication and social media. They, well, hang them up. Yeah. Well, then you hear, well, he was. High on drugs. Yeah. He was this. This is what he used to do. Yeah. These are his priors. Yeah. And this kind of relates to what his priors were. Yeah. So now we're going to do you go back into the priors when you're when you're investigating a case? Well, you, you, you yeah. Do you, those come in? They don't come in. Not to that case, but in the back of your mind is. Well, you would look at a history of somebody. Yes. Yeah. Just like anything else. Like, uh, you know, for 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 drug stuff like if we had a, a, a suspect in a house we'd do our homework on the guy and say mm -hmm. hey this guy got arrested with you know two handguns before well that's something we want to know you know mm -hmm. you keep in the back of your mind but you can't judge the person on that but you do your homework and you do your case and you you find out who you're investigating that's just part of doing a good investigation you know yeah um but that stuff doesn't come in in trials though right you know because you see that's documentaries more... now like i feel like everybody's trying to flip flip things over with documentaries you know what i mean all these cases are wrong when really the facts sometimes don't come through through the documentary because they're creating a narrative well here here's the thing and i don't know if the public knows this i mean i know dave probably does because i've talked to him about it but like for everything we do like the police meaning there's a hearing for that like you can't like if you make it you know, there's 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 things that go on in court that that protect the rights of the individual uh, right. They're just by matter of procedure. 
and it goes on every day, you know. Uh, and and to, I think what you're asking me is, is you know, are there going to be bad cases? Yeah, but there's thousands of them, millions of them every day, you know. Um, but we have, I, I tell you, I, when I talk about that rule of law, every case has to be taken on an individual basis, uh, and you have to, you know, you have to make your case as a cop, and you have to have a decent case, you know. So that's why some cases don't get solved. Yeah, uh, they're still tr- hoping for you know DNA change things, but they're, you know, um, you have to have uh, a good case to to take it to. You have to you know it's it's like baking a cake, you know. Um, Somebody said that, like baking a cake. It was my better half, I think. Well, you can't yeah. bake a cake without yeast. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> you know, but uh, yeah. So that's pretty much it with my my police stuff. Uh, well, well, what was your what was the favorite part? Of, your favorite part of your career? Where did you think you were your best? <sighs> oh God, where was I my best? Standing in front of my mirror in my bathroom. You're the best. <laughs> no, uh, I tell you, what's, what's really where? What's really yeah? That's slaughter. Moved out. Yeah. yeah, that's when Dave moved out. Yeah. He's like Dan, 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 Dan. Don't be just standing there in your gumbo with nothing else on, saying you're the best. I'm moving out. I'm getting married. I'm out of here. This is good. Not going the way I planned. <laughs> no, um, I tell you, I I get this from my dad. I do. I know. I do. Uh, because where I went somewhere, I learned about it. And talking about narcotics and, you know, other cops you talk to, uh, again, I'm out of it now. There were cops that were good at things. Like there were, I'm talking about precinct uniform cops. They were V&T person. This guy was good at drug, you know, drug interdiction. I was, I was never a drug guy. I mean, I did my job. I was around a lot of drugs, but I was never a guy that like concentrated on drugs. So to answer your question, Mark, I went to the places I went to, and I didn't go to narcotics because I wanted to. I went there because that's, that's where there was an opening. Mm-hmm. But once I got there, I, I got to work with the guys, and I said, I think I could do this. But I really wasn't a big narcotics guy. So I would learn the most I could about the job, and I would try to be good at it. Like, homicide is very difficult uh, to learn because it's, it's like, Jimmy, what you were saying, you've got to make a case. And nobody— I. I Nobody in the police department ever wants to have the wrong person arrested. And again, there's a place where there's a dedicated group of detectives and uh, people, again, that really do good jobs. And, and, and again, people are going to say, oh, you're saying that because you're a cop, but I, I really am not lying about it. There's just so many good people in the police department, and they have to do these. So I went to these places. So when I went to homicide, I learned homicide. I wanted to learn it, be good at it and learn the job and, you know, be good at it. I, I, so to answer your question, I hope I'm answering it. Yeah. I, I had a lot of favorite places. I, I, I left out the part I was on the SWAT team. Well, uh, we're, I yeah. was going to, because you're a well-versed weapons guy. I, told. I, 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 weapons not, no, I'm not, Dave knows more about ammo than I do. Uh, but <laughs> I know. Now, is that just guns or do you know the history of weapons? Because I know we're going to get into history with you, and I know you're yeah. a history buff. I like history. But, uh, no, I know, I again, I, I we had weapons assigned to us. Uh, I knew about my Glock. I knew about my shotguns that, I, that we were issued. I knew about our weapons. We had On the SWAT team, we had a different array of things, uh, gas weapons, and I learned all about that stuff so I could be good at the job. Now, am I a guy that could tell you, 
this rifle round travels at 38.66-46 grade. No, I want to learn how to use the thing, and can I hit what I aim at, and can I fix a malfunction? That's what we concentrated on. So I enjoyed that. Uh, my career, I, again, I, I, I can't, my life and my career, I couldn't ask for anything more. The friends I've made, the people I've met, but the police department, I just hit it right in my career with that, um, meaning uh the SWAT team is a tryout in Buffalo. So what do you mean by that? Uh you have to so you have to have I, I think when I got on you had to have five years on and you have to take uh four at my time it was four pronged. I don't know if it still is. You had to take an obstacle course, which is uh down behind uh Old Precinct Seven mm-hmm. uh, in Louisiana and it's a time thing where you it's a uh, obstacle course you have to put a, a jacket on, run in a certain time, climb walls, monkey bars, tunnels, windows, climb so you had to high make the fences, team. just to get on the team. <laughs> What's that? You had to make the team. You have to make it, yeah. Uh, that's one phase. And then if you pass that, uh, there's a firearms phase where you have to shoot proficiency at 92% with your pistol. Um, and the third phase, I think, was a background check uh you know, and, you're, and then the fourth phase, you had to like write an essay. And then once you pass all that, you could put on a list to get put on. And it depends on, I think the team fluctuates between 20 and 25 uh, officers on it. And it's, it's uh, when somebody gets off, when somebody retires or quits, opening comes up, you're next on the list, you get on. It's kind of like the URT guys. URT, yeah. I don't know their tryouts. Right, uh, but it, we train a lot with those guys. There's a lot yeah. of guys waiting to get on there, yeah. especially recently. Yeah, they but, do a. They what, do a. Uh, I I had experience as a young cop, uh, a drowning of a child, and those guys are something else. The job they do, they went in the water and and got them out. And I, I said right then and there, I said that's not something for me. It just was not uh, diving. Um, Plus, I have a physical abnormality of a, of, a, of a giant head, like I told you. <laughs> oh, we're going to get to your head. We'll get to the head. Tell them about your SWAT helmet. Yeah, I will. That's on there. But uh, uh, they uh, they do a great job, those guys. But, yeah, not to, to interrupt you, Jim. But No, that's all right. Well, I used to have uh, my lieutenant, one of my lieutenants, and a lot of my friends were on the team, and those guys were uh, – uh, fearless dudes they they would cut holes totally. in the ice and go under the ice in the yep. water i'd be like no thanks Scary guys. Shit, man. that's not for me i want the i'll stay on the i'll yeah. stay on land but those guys yeah that's a specialized unit within the department so you have yeah. like you have like swat and it's part-time so what if you're team. out having a pint and the, the shit's hitting the fan the swat team's needed well how does that work are you you would if see Is there so, a code word well we <laughs> well well we would be on call twenty four seven all the time something would happen something would happen right and it was it was you got to be on your toes so now I a lot of us the, the commanders of that team for the most part great guys uh, you would say I can't make it like and guys were just guys were dedicated I'm, I'm not being corny I, I'm not no, these guys I, I, were I believe it. guys on that team with me I would you know they're Great guys uh, come from all walks of life. Guys and girls were on the team with me, and um, yeah, and they they were great people. And I literally, uh, not being corny, they, we we looked out for each other. But if to, ask, to answer your question, Jimmy, yeah, I mean, 
if you're at a party or something and they would call you, you would call the boss and say, I can't make it. And he'd be like, okay. Now yeah. you can't do it every single time you get a call. <laughs> boss, I'm into the, I'm into the, they'd be like, okay, knock it off. You know what I mean? It's but, Tuesday. Uh, it's Tuesday. But I've had, I've had call outs on Christmas. I've had call outs in the middle of the night. I've had call, I've been to dinner with my family and just leave. And, you know, um, great, great, great experience. And I got into that, uh, I want the reason I wanted to be on the SWAT team is I wanted to learn the tactics and be good at it, and be with a bunch of people that were good at their job. Yeah. And um, again, I, I can't I can't say enough about the people uh, people I work with. But uh, I got into uh, training and uh, tactical stuff, firearm stuff, uh, and I I got sent. So now in the police department. We would do like tactical stuff for, on the job, uh, people. A the big thing that came around since 99 Columbine was uh, active shooter stuff. You know, you think of school shootings, but people, how do police respond to this? How does the public respond to it? And I, I teach on the national level now at uh, the, based on my SWAT experiences and where the training I was sent to and the things like that, I teach on the national, uh, nationally now for, uh, Louisiana State University is the National Center for Biomedical Research and Training, and it's based out of LSU down in Baton Rouge. And again, I go there, great group of people that work there, great programs. A lot of people don't know that about you. Yeah, I don't. Well, I you know. Got a lot of, lot of, got, you got a lot of tools in your belt, and that's great I, that you're teaching it. Because uh, yeah. I, I tell you what, and I teach it with people uh, who have been to some of the ones you read about on the news, and it's uh, it changes communities. And I truly believe uh, that uh, it's it's these these folks that I work with on that national they're cops from all over the country, um, and the, you know uh, some of the guys were at you know very bad bad things that occurred and um and, and I'll be honest with you, Danny, me and the wife will never go to another uh, movie theater again, and that's unfortunate. <laughs> but yeah, I don't is. find them I don't find them safe in this climate right now. Uh, Especially because yeah. it's right at my my fingertips, and I feel bad for them. They're getting screwed. They're gonna get screwed even more when they mm -hmm. reopen. Well, don't get don't let fear rule your heart. You know what I mean? I'm fear. just being I'm just being smart. You can be smart, but you can also be. I could give you a whole class on this, James. But I can. Well, you well, can also be observant. Listen, we got a lot of Guinness. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I don't. I don't. I don't. Not that much. I don't want. <laughs> we're professionals here, no, but uh, I don't want you to. That's another thing is. You, fear don't don't not leave your house like we've all been living in this pandemic right and you know you could get crazy but you know i think there's an old saying you know sharks live in the ocean but we still swim in the ocean we just have to be smart about it i know but you're you're talking about active shooter and yeah i'm and i and it was before all this pandemic uh crowded places malls not so much uh club shows like concerts but big darien lake shows I don't know what it is. I, I started really looking around. Mm -hmm. Is that, am I, I'm not saying that, am I paranoid, but am I being too heady? No, that's what you're supposed to do. Right. Uh, a lot of people, like if you just observe people, like say at an airport, for mm -hmm. an example, a lot of people don't pay attention to what's going on. Um, and, you know, your situational awareness and stuff. And again, there's, there's classes out there for this stuff because we do, we lost it. Um, like I, you know, Dave knows me better than probably most in the world, but we talk about this stuff. It's like, what do you think it was like to walk from uh, 
your cabin in 1794 to town, like, you had to know what was up. Like, if somebody came up with you on the road, you wouldn't be like, hey, guys, what's going on? Like, and I'll tell you a story. We, 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 this happened to us this summer. Uh, we went down to the Kinswell Reservoir, you know? And we're all older guys. It was me, Dave, uh, Maddie Quinn, Brian Higgins, Patty Burke. Who else was there? That's the crew. We're all older guys, you know. We're camping. Beautiful camping spot, you know. Sure. Kayak and canoe. Kayak and canoe, and we're having a blast, right? How my mind works and our mind works at our age, you know. These dudes come up. We're on this trail. What was the name of that trail? North Country Trail. North Country Trail. (laughs) The higher mind works, right? These dudes come up, and they're like 25. Giant dudes. Jacked. Like, they don't do this. They come walking down the trail like, hey, guys, we're going to set up a camp. And we're like, okay, dudes, you know. And we're all like looking around. No, you were in the middle of nowhere. I got the hatchet right yeah, here. Dave's got the hatchet. But your brain goes back to that. If, you know, if these guys, like, if this was 150 yeah. years ago and these guys haven't had food in four days, we're, we're fighting for it. No, we're fighting for it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, think about it. I mean, uh, best time to be alive right now. Like, we don't have to, we don't think about that stuff. So our, our, our human skills... Our skills of observation, and I know I go off on tangents. But no, that's perfect. Our human skills of observation, we kind of lose them. How how have we lost them more? Oh, looking at the phone. Yeah. I was getting back in airports. You got people that just stare at their phone all the time. I and, and having the police background and seeing things, I'm always looking around. Yep, me um, too. Most of us are. Uh, With know. the mask, it's perfect. Yeah, you know what I mean. So yeah. it, it, it nowadays it's kind of hard, especially if imagine if you were putting investigations in. And everybody's wearing masks. Everybody's wearing masks. masks, yeah. Well, it's funny. A year ago, if you were at the Wilson Farms at Kimberly and Abbott getting a, a gallon <laughs> oh, you'd of milk, be jacked no, up. some guy walked in with a bandana on, you'd be like, what's going on here? <laughs> now you're like, this is this is the norm, though. This is yeah. my baseline. But if he doesn't have a bandana, he gets you up. No, another baseline, you get punched for not <laughs> wearing a mask. Yeah. You know? But it's just the way the world changes and the Take way we learn. There could be more robberies. I don't know. I think there is, isn't there? Didn't they all go up? <laughs> Didn't they go up? Didn't yeah, they go up this year? Probably did. I don't leave yeah. this set neighborhood. This is going to be an hours-long show. Yeah. yeah. I'm just saying, you know, like, uh, <laughs> You're going to be editing, brother. You spent your life probably playing shop, or talking shop at home. You married in uh, the police the police as well. So, like, how did you manage, like, not talking shop all the time, ha- keeping friends that weren't police officers? That was a, that was a huge... Uh, I do have a ton of friends who are cops, but I still hang around with the guys I went to high school with. I deliver papers with. Um, and you do. I never see you with a cop. I'm with cops. Okay. I mean, I, the I cop see I'm usually you. with is Charlie Clifford. Nobody even knows but, he's a cop. Yeah, Sorry, but, Charlie. <laughs> he doesn't know. He's he doesn't even know. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, no, I have a ton of cop friends. I do. I, I, I do. But even in the police academy, uh, Dave used to work at MUDS. It's a whole other two hours, two hour show. But back in those days, uh, I I tell you what, I I love growing up around here, and I keep my friends. I hang around with building inspectors. I hang around with they're the best, aren't they? Nurses. Yeah. Well, Brian Higgins is probably one of the top. Yeah, yeah. You know. Uh, but but uh, he he's right. You got to keep your cop friends, your cop friends, and your regular friends. Yeah, and and I tell you what, you, you asked about my wife. I we don't we don't talk about that stuff. That's all. amazing. Then it's yeah, amazing. it is. Well. Because, and I tell you, we kept our careers separate, too. Uh, I only went to homicide after she left. She retired. So you didn't work together? Never. Oh, Never. okay. I mean, Never. she told the story you guys did work together. No, you're, when the you fa- met. your father. My fa- Lisa worked for my dad. Oh, okay, all right. Yeah, my dad. My dad was a... He was her pimp. Yeah, my dad. She told that story. <laughs> yeah, right? she, yeah she told on the earth. It's a great story. Yeah. It's dad, a great yeah. story. My, and my dad also wore... The big leather hats instead of the Irish hats. No, but uh, 
No, I never did. And and I kept it separate. And I, through the years on the department, uh, I, I, I just hang around with the guys I grew up with. I never knew who you were. Well, that's another good thing. <laughs> you Under play the it, radar. You play it very well. Well, play what? I'm just you, a normal dude. I Exactly. I can't <laughs> believe I'm on the show. <laughs> Please. We're yeah, we're not, I mean, I, I like thank you for your service to your community My and everything. Service. And that's I, great. But, pe- you know, people are just like, this guy's interesting. It's not. Yeah. You're not here because you were well, a police you, officer for 20 he'll years. He'll tell you so. I'm full of useless information. <laughs> but I'll tell you, I, I was talking to Dave Vogel here yesterday. I tell you, I wouldn't trade where I grew up, when I grew up, who I grew up with, who my family is, who my friends are. I wouldn't trade it for anything. And you lived, you haven't, you're kind of like me, they've told me. You don't leave like a 10 block radius. I do. I go to Wegmans. <laughs> right. No, I'll tell you the difference too, though, like times, you know, so I'm getting on the police department and my dad's buddies were cops, you know, and I'm getting, I'm waiting to get assigned to a precinct house and his old time buddies, this is how the world has changed. They go, oh, kid. You don't want to go to Precinct 13. It's a long ride. I go, really? Where is it? It's up in Riverside. It's super far away. I'd be like, okay, guys, long ride. It's on the 190 past the Peace Bridge. But that's how those guys, a lot of those guys view. That's a, that's quite a commute, son. You don't want to go there. I'm like, dude, it's it's on Hurdle Avenue. Like, what do you? But uh, I I did I do I do spread out a lot. Uh, uh, but I was, I was, my wings were clipped early on in my life of leaving the neighborhood because I'll tell you another funny story that I brought up with Dave. So we're living above Sluggers down the road here, 382 Abbott was at the time. Mm-hmm. And uh, our dear friend, Michael Fahey, me and Dave, I got the night off. We say, hey, let's, I'm in the police academy, just getting ready to graduate. I say, hey, Dave says, let's go on a little adventure. So we start driving out toward Kissing Bridge. I think it was winter, wasn't it? Winter or fall? Yeah. yeah. We all jump in Dave's Bronco too. You know, 100 pounds of meat in a three-pound bag. <laughs> We're driving out there. We get to the bar, and, of course, our dear friend, House Fahey, looks at us. We're all, like, I think in our early 20s. Because I forgot my ID. So I'm like, shit. So we go in there. In this bar, we walk in there. This girl's behind the bar. Country bar. Country bar out in the middle of nowhere. This is why I don't leave the four-block radius. But anyway. <laughs> He's right. I got my wings clipped, so I'm like... I, in the police academy at the time, again, I don't know. They give you like this cheesy card, right? It's like a courtesy a card. card. Says, police officer Daniel Rebin. It's not anything official. Right. And they give it so they, if you screw up, they could just shred the thing, you know? So Mike looks at me. We go, yeah, give us three beers, whatever we were drinking at the time. And the girl's like, ID? Me and Dave pull ours out. And Mike's like, <laughs> you know, looking at it. <laughs> so Mike goes, hey. Throw your cup, throw your cup. So I go, I go oh. like, I'm embarrassed already. Yeah. Because that's and not his thing. That's not my yeah, thing, you know? Yeah. So, you know, Mike, we drove all the way out there. He tells us five minutes away, you know, House Fahey, our dear friend. We love him. I go, hey, would it help if I was a cop? And I hand her this cheesy card, and she looks at it, and she goes, well, if you were a cop, you you would know you had to have identification to drink <laughs> beer in New York State. And she hands me back the thing, and I'm like, and we both look at him like, yes. And he's like, sorry, guys. So, First time you yeah, ever pull some tension. A little, a little yeah, wing sure. clippage there, you know what I mean? Yeah, oh, yeah. here, Mr. Tough Guy. We'll come out to the country again. Don't bring your friend who forgets his ID. But, yeah, <laughs> so to answer your question, I, it's probably, it could be better a lot of places, but I was always very comfortable here. Like, I, I'm the same way. Yeah, a lot of people are. Uh, I was in Orchard Park, uh, some dental shit. Dental, yeah, and really, you had some dental problems. Yeah, face her radio. Yeah, face her radio. So, so I'm arguing 
with the with the price. It was one price. They said one price, and I'm. But it, it it's a principle. You know how it is. Yeah. So I'm screaming, but I don't think I'm screaming because I got a fucking mask on. Uh-huh. So my buddy, who's an Orchard Park police officer, uh-huh. he's off duty, but he comes up. He goes, "Hey, settle down." And by the way. I never thought you left the one four two two. Well, what are you doing out here, buddy? <laughs> yeah. You better drag ass back down Orchard Park Road and knock it off. Yeah, you're going to those highfalutin dentists, causing Orchard customer Park. trouble. Yeah. Oh yeah, dentist horseshit park. The kicker <laughs> calls it. Yeah, no, yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, I, I just, I kind of like, you know, I, and even though now, I mean, you know, we're getting not up there in age, but we're half, we're half, we're halfway through the ride here. I'm close to my mom and dad. Um, you know. I'm close to my sister. I'm close to my friends. Uh, Dave lives five minutes away. I mean, I got friends around here. I'm, that's just who I am. I, I can't, I can't say that I wouldn't have done better somewhere else. But I just, I like that. I live on the street. I deliver papers on. Um, you know, that's that's just how I roll. You know, we're gonna take an intermission and then we're gonna talk about some famous Buffalonians and some. History. We're gonna talk about some history, which is my favorite. Yeah. Okay. We are listener supported now, Marky. We are now on Patreon. All you got to do, click on our social media. It's $3 a month, new content. We have Stories from the Second Floor, the first movie. Edgewood to Hollywood, our second movie. And now our new movie created animation by Mark Barrett himself, A Natural Gas, starring Wilbur Fulton. Check it out. More to come. You never know what's going to come on the Patreon. Podcast is free. Check us out. $3. Just like buying a beer. You can't buy a beer. You can't tip a bartender. So help us out. Thank you, and have a good year. You yeah. stuff Christian Leitner. Well, anyways, John Quinn always says, and I, I may have embellished a little on the stuffing, but in people's minds, we're recording. Yeah, right? John John Quinn is a is, <laughs> is a mutual uh, acquaintance, dude. Dang. He is one of the funniest dudes. We got tons of stories about him, but he, for a while there, I don't even know if it's still true. He hated to eat in public. Like he'd get all oh, nervous. Yeah. He'll tell you stories, dude. My father won't eat in public. He 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 would get. We go to Mighty Taco as young guys. You know, he'd get all nervous. I'm just gonna take it home. I'm just gonna take it home. He would just go, take it home. Or... He go eat it in his base. I never had lunch with the guy. I grew up with him. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, he's I, a. F- have you ever heard him play guitar? No. No, I didn't even know he played until just now when I grew up with him. <laughs> I'm gonna have to go out to his house and peek at him. I heard he's amazing. I've never. Seen he probably him as is well. good. He, you know what? He, he's probably one of the smartest guys about music. What did you say, Dave? Yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. Smart guy yeah. about music. Great friend. Our good pal. We had a great times. Great times growing up. So we talked about the professional end of Dan Redman. Yeah. And it was great. Very informative. Now we're going to talk about some interest. Uh, going to Ireland. I heard that. I've been there. Yes. You, you, and you have, uh, we always talk about leaving the money on the bar. Yes. It's a very Buffalo thing. It's a Buffalo and thing. And you ha- I, I was told you have a story about that. Well, I do. It it, it, it involves uh, myself and a, a guy who owns a bookstore in the neighborhood. <laughs> uh, we, we, all, me, him, and another guy always had a thing when we go to Ireland, but the other guy ended up passing away. Mm-hmm. And uh, we decided we weren't getting any younger when we were turning. You know, I was getting to be 40. I said, let's just do it. So we, we went over there. Now, I have, I have family in the Southwest, and uh, Tommy had family in Limerick. Uh, both of our, my mother's great, my mother's father was right off the boat from Ireland, and he came here. So I still have family over there. Like my grandpa, I think was the oldest of ten or twelve kids, and uh, 
his siblings' kids still live there. Uh, so I have family. So I, you know, I, I go over there, and Tommy has family in Limerick. Uh, great people. Uh, but anyways, we go over there. We're, you know, we're charging around. We 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 go to Dublin, right? And we go to the Guinness factory. And, you uh, got it, right? You got it. But they only get it. Think about the Guinness factory. They have an awesome rotating. Have you guys ever been there? No. They no. have an awesome rotating tower. But the only thing is for people like us, you get two tickets for a Guinness and you got to leave. So there's this giant bar. <laughs> but they give you two tickets. It's like, your two's up, you're out the door because there's constantly people coming. You know, we'd make a home there and be like, hey, can we? Two tickets, that's it. It's included, it was included in the price at the time. So me and Tommy go to the Guinness factory and we're. Uh, we're walking down the street, and we're in, I mean, we're by the Guinness Brewery in Dublin, right? And uh, we go into this bar, and it's like a, you know, kind of like a bar. I don't know where it is. Just walking the door. It's daylight, right? So we, of course, you know, spend some time there. And uh, we're in the middle of, I don't even know where we are in Dublin. And uh, we start getting comfortable and, you know, doing our thing. And I start getting, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm in hula hands, you know. I'm, in, <laughs> I'm hanging out. So we put the. I put the money on the kids. The kids getting his beers, and I leave just out of habit. I leave the money on the bar, and I'm sitting there, and we're drinking, and you know, days going by, nights going by, and this dude comes in, and it's him, and there's probably four dudes with him. I'm, I'm not kidding you, and they're all like Jimmo. Everybody in the bar is like Jimmo, just Jimmo. <laughs> so I'm being observant. I'm being situationally aware, and I'm looking at this guy, and he's got. I swear to God, he's got like a scar on his face, right? And these people are like Jim, and people are handing him money, and they're they're handing him money, and he's, and I'm thinking to myself, this guy's like the neighborhood Shylock or you know loan shark or something. They're it's like Berkey. Like, every, everybody knows him, you know, and they're like Jimmo, <laughs> Jimmo, and he walks over, and he looks at me and Tommy. He's got these dudes with him. They all look like rough guys, you know, and he looks at Tommy and he says, "I'm the Pope of Dublin." And I'm like, hey, how you doing, Jimmo? So we're thinking. He's sitting next to us, and we're drinking. And I got, like, I don't know, 22 euro on the bar, you know? And we're in this bar. We don't know anybody, right? So I go, ah, Tommy, I got to go to the bathroom. And I come back, you know? And my glass is there, but the money's gone, you know? And Tommy's like, I think that dude took our money. <laughs> so now I'm like, oh, man, now I got... And I'm thinking... Oh boy! I go, well, this is challenging my manhood. But again, I'm trying to think my way through it. I am. I'm. I'm like. I don't think this is going to go well for us. We are the outsiders, and who everybody hands. knows, Jimmo. Yeah, and I'm like, these dudes look like they don't mess around, you know. So I go to the guy. I, I get. I go up to him and I go, Hey, man. Hey, Jimmo. And he goes, Yeah. And I go, Did you take my money off the bar? I swear to God. He goes, This man's calling me a thief. <laughs> This man is accusing me, and I'm like, oh boy! And everybody, I swear, if there was a record, it would went, Whoop. yeah. And I'm like, I'm looking around, I'm looking at Tommy, and I know Tommy; he's my dear friend. But I'm like, we're gonna get murdered in this party, <laughs> and I'm feeling the hair on the back of my neck stand up. And the four dudes that were with him must have been his, I don't know, his buddies, you know. And they're looking at me, and I'm looking at them, and I'm like. My brain's going. It's time. It's time to stand up for yourself, Danny. It's time to get in a big brawl over twenty-two euro, which is thirty bucks. And then, what did, they, what did Abraham Lincoln say? My better angels went. It's probably worth losing that twenty-two euro. And I, uh, I said, all right, Tommy, let's go. And I just left it. But you know, I probably got stabbed or something. But uh, it was funny. But nobody does that anywhere 
other than here. Right. Like nobody. Right. And I learned my lesson that time. That was a stupid thing to do. But you just get into that habit of doing things. And, you know, if I would have went the other way, I probably would have, you know, a scar, a really cool scar story. This is where I got slashed or in the face. Missing. Or tooth missing. <laughs> or tooth missing. Yours was a Kimwick roll. I would at least had. I got slashed in a bar and I got slashed in the hula hands of Dublin. Jimmo with smashed Jimmo my the face Pope out. Dublin. Ring slashed my face. I don't even. I haven't seen Tommy since. I don't know. He got murdered. I think. I was in Chicago once with a, with a bunch of heavy hitters yeah. from the neighborhood, big uh-huh. tough guys. Yeah. And it, this guy walks up. He goes, "Who the fuck do you guys think you are?" Yeah. And we we didn't know what he was talking about. We we're like, "I don't. Yes, I you don't. Did. I don't know." But and I'm I'm sitting there. I'm the little guy. Mm-hmm. I mean, I had a guy six seven. I had a weightlifter with me. I said, dude, you don't want to do this. He goes, who the fuck do you guys think you are leaving your money on the bar? I go, that's what you're mad about? Yeah. Buy him a drink. Yeah. The guy was our buddy the rest of the night. Yeah, you we know? just get into bad habits, but I think that goes back to, again, you know, Dave can back me up. Dave worked behind the bar for many years at different establishments, but you know the bartender, you know the people in the bar. It's just that we just get we get lazy and habitual about things, and we just know that nobody's going to touch your money. Now, are there people who are around who used to take money off the bar? I imagine so. I say I say it all the time, and they're getting away with it. We got to call these people out. We all know who they are. <laughs> Dave did. Dave right, was, Dave. Oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I, I tell your friends don't don't leave your money on the bar right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, that, right? Isn't another, that totally. one of the things? Another, I never seen it. Happen, you got, though. they're like. I know, but I know you know it's it. them. But uh, what's funny is uh, like. Things that come out of the neighborhood, you know. Oh, that guy—he's a kitty killer. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right. Funny. Oh, yeah. Kitty oh, yeah. killer. You know. Uh, you but, never order shots with the kitty. No, nah, no. Well, there's oh, these other guys. I'm gonna have a. I'm gonna have a. You know, a, a, a glass goose. of Guinness. Hey, I'm gonna have a Johnny Walker Blue. <laughs> yeah. Oh, our kitty's gone. Ah, uh, sorry. A couple of those. Yeah. yeah. Oh, here's ten more. But, bucks. Uh, yeah, I. Uh, I actually, you know, getting back to the Ireland thing, I, I, I kind of, I don't want to jump around on you guys a lot, but. Uh, it's a funny story I tell a lot, and so like I told you earlier, my my cousin is is he's a Yulian pipe player. He's he's a pretty good one too, and he lives in the Southwest where my grandfather was born. And um, now the difference between a Yulian pipe and a bagpipe is a Yulian pipe is if you ever seen like Patty Maloney from the Chieftains, mm-hmm. it, it lays across your leg and they play it like that. It's not a war pipe, meaning up. So yeah, so it it it's uh. It's a it's a Yulian pipe. It's called. So my, my cousin's is is pretty good. So when I I went there, it was really a neat way to see the country. We, he'd take us to bars and he'd play with these guys. It was great. But uh, when I first went there, my my grandfather who passed away, Patrick, uh, God rest his soul, but he passed away in uh, 1987, and he was right off the boat. He was my mom's dad, and I go there, and he had a younger brother named Tim, who I think I might be wrong on the numbers. He was a baby or a young kid when my grandpa left in the 20s to come here. And he was still alive. And um, me and my wife get there and we're there at bed and breakfast. And I call him up in those days from the from the, the phone. And I says, he says, I know where you are. I'll come get you, you know. So he uh, he's coming over. And I tell the woman at the thing, I said, my cousin's coming to get me. And I say his name. And she goes, oh. He's a very well-known piper around here. I know who he is. I said, well, he's coming to pick me up. So, you know, to, to shorten the story, he comes, he picks me up, and he's driving me up to this part of, this Whoa. part of, uh, 
this this part of the <laughs> that was, this part of the this part of the country this part of the country where my grandfather was born, the house he was born in, and, and you know the, the area he was born in, and my uncle had still lived there. He's alive, and I'm going to meet him. And my cousin's driving me up there, and he goes, uh, he "Goes now, Danny, I got to tell you some rules about it." You know, he says, "We're going up to this hill, and everybody has the same last name, and everybody's got the same first name." And I said, "Okay." And he goes, "So to differentiate between people." He says, you say the man's first name and his father's name in the middle, what? and then his last name. Now, if you look at Irish people, they do have this. So he says, now, my grandfather was Patrick Healy, and his father's name was Daniel. So he says, your grandfather would be Patty Dan Healy. Dan Healy's son, Pat. You guys tracking me? Yep. Mm-hmm. So he goes, who would Tim be? I go, he'd be Timmy Dan Healy, Dan Healy's son, Tim. He goes, you're tracking me, you're tracking me. So we go up there, and we meet my uncle. Spitting image of my grandfather, you know, great guy. I go in there, literally the peat in the fire. Uh, the second house, the first house my grandpa grew up in. I mean, it's unbelievable. I took my kids there to see it. Uh, talk about humble beginnings. He, there was nothing. It was a, it was a one room with two rooms off the side. Literally the fireplace and the pot. But anyways, we visit with my uncle. We're talking, and um, we're we're getting ready to leave, and, and there's these people across the street on the porch. And my cousin looks at me and says. Now, Danny, I left out a part about that now with the names. I said, what's, what, what's going on? He goes, well, you see these people over here? He goes, if someone has a physical attribute, you can insert that in the middle, in the place of the father's name. And I said, oh, he says, but Danny, you never say it to their face. Never. I said, okay. He goes, you see these people over here? He goes, these are the Buck Healy's. And I said, well, what, what are they called, man? He beeps the horn. Beep, beep, you know, and all these people on the porch, they all got these giant teeth, you know what I mean? It's like, a, like this. And they're like, beep, beep. It's like, okay. So we leave. So I tell the story, you know, it's funny. Buck Healy's, and, 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 and it's funny. And I've been telling the story for 20 years. Now, funny roundabout story that we all like. Yeah. Connection stories. My daughter, Natalie, my older daughter, she, she rose from Mount Mercy, and she rose down on Ohio Street. So... This has got to be, I, th- I, th- I don't think it was COVID March. I think it was the March before that. There's a family meeting for the rowing parents. It's like early in the morning. So my daughter's got to come to this meeting. So I get up. It's a cold March morning. And I put the, the Irish hat on, you know, mm-hmm. you know, because I'm not going to take a shower. It's cold out. I don't want to. I'm just going to throw a hat on. We've all done it. Admit yeah. it. Yeah, I did so it today. <laughs> I'm standing down there. I'm standing down by the river in Buffalo, the Buffalo River there down on Ohio Street. And I got the hat on. And this guy comes up to me. And he's like, now, this is two years ago, right? He goes, oh, it's a nice, he's got a little accent, but I think it's English. I can't figure it out. He goes, oh, it's a nice hat. Are you Irish? I go, oh, I go, no, no. I go, I, 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 my grandfather is from Ireland. He goes, I like the hat. That's an Irish hat. I go, yeah, it's a Hannah hat, you know. It's a great hat. He go, I go, my grandfather. goes, oh, where is he from? And I named the town, and the guy's looking at me. This guy's only a little older than me. And he goes, I know that name. And I go, well, yeah, I, I go, it's a common name, Pat Healy, from that area of Ireland. He goes, no, that sounds familiar. I go, you wouldn't know my grandfather. I go, he was born in 19, I think he was born in 1907. I go, he'd be 100 and, what, tw- whatever, I, I failed time in 13. math. 13. Thank you, Dave. Dave was in uh, Father Louis' class. I was in <laughs> math 3C. But anyways, I go, he'd be older. He go, The guy goes, no, I know the name. I go, well, it's a common name, I said. And I start telling the story I just told you guys. I said, well... When I went there, my cousin, the piper, blah, 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 drives me up, blah, blah, blah. And I get to the part where we're in the driveway, and I say, uh, I say, uh, 
physical attribute, you know, blah, blah, blah. And I say, you know, and then he beeps the horn. It's the Buck Healy's. What do you think this guy says to me? The Buck Healy's are my cousins. <laughs> I swear to God. I go, what? He goes, oh, they're my cousins. And we start figuring it out. So here's a roundabout crazy story. This dude, his daughter's on my rowing, my daughter's rowing team. He's a bartender in London. His parents moved from the town that my grandfather was in. He's a bartender in London. He meets an ex- a girl that's on London for school who's from South Buffalo and marries her. And he's, he, he winds up here. And his, so I call my cousin in Ireland, the piper. Yeah. And I go, you're never going to guess what happened. You know, he goes, uh, oh, oh. He goes, oh, you didn't say it to his face, did you? <laughs> <laughs> I go, Steven, how the hell am I going to know who this guy? He goes, oh, he goes, oh. I know. Their last name is their last name is uh, Sullivan. And, and he goes, <laughs> oh, I know that family. Yeah, there, yeah. They're, the mother grew up right two doors uh. down from your aunt. Uh, yeah, the, the, the whole family, they're all here. So uh, this guy, just a roundabout way. But I've been telling this story. Like I used to tell the story when the, uh, you don't remember the Blackthorn used to do Finnegan's Wake. Yeah, yeah. Tell the story there. My wife and Fritter and uh, Karen Adamy, and they put a great show on over there, Danny Bowen. But. I, uh, it was so bizarre to me, and I love stuff like that. It's like, how, how is that? What is the, ch- what are the chances of that happening? Yeah. That this guy would know the people of the story that I, that I told, that I've been telling. It's just so funny. I don't know. Buffalo funny. has that weird thing. It does. Everybody, does weird, weird in connection. Buffalo. Weird connection. Were you always a history person? Yes. Like even at Timon? Simon. Simon. Uh, James yeah. Stanley. Who is your Mr. Yeah. Stanley? Uh, best, one of the best teachers I ever had. Great yeah. teacher. Uh, Mr. Best body slam I ever had. Mr. Broke my nose. Good body slam. He good broke test. your nose. Oh yeah. Yeah. Me and Dave had deserved uh, it. Me and Dave had a uh, most. If Stanley took care of business, kids you deserved you, they, it. They, you deserved it. You deserved yeah. it. But he liked nice hockey man. players. He was, he was God great. rest his soul. Good. Yeah. Oh, yeah. God rest his soul. Uh, me and Dave also were in the same world cultures class with a certain teacher. <laughs> who, uh, uh, he was a great guy, but he was funny um, again. Uh, but I was interested in it. My dad always, uh, uh, what do you call it? My dad was the kind of guy that if, again, this is where I get it from, uh, great parents I have, but uh, my dad, if my dad didn't know something about something, he would find out, he would find it out. So I, I always liked looking at things, um, history, yes. I always liked looking at things through the eyes of history. I read about the Civil War as a kid, World War II, all that stuff, the Revolution. I, I've, I, my whole life I've been into it, yeah. Well, and we're right by Tuscarora, so we got to bring this guy up. Okay. Wade McCluskey. Do, do you a guys lot, do you know who Wade McCluskey is? I have no clue. Who a lot Wade of Buffalonians don't know, especially Wade. from South Buffalo. Yeah. Uh, Let's tell the story of Wade McCluskey. Well, again, uh, I'm not a historic, historical expert, but I don't know how people don't know the guy. I think there's an article in the news about five, ten years ago, and I actually didn't know about him, and I always watched Tora, 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 you guys are old war movie guys. Mm-hmm. He was always in the movie, Wade McCluskey. Yeah. So I looked him up, uh, and I read this article in the Buffalo News. I think he grew up, I, I might have the streets wrong, but he grew up on Lilac and Tuscarora, and he was a guy, he went to South Park High School, mm-hmm. and uh, he was a naval aviator in uh, World War II. He graduated from Annapolis. He's a Buffalo guy. Um, and he grew up around here, and if you ever watched the movie, he led uh, Battle of Midway, uh, Carrier Carrier War, uh, turning point in the Second World War for for the United States. We only had, I think, two or three carriers there. The Japanese had five. He changed the course. Changed the course of World War Two. World War Two, and him and a bunch and of other. Guys. And he lived in South Buffalo. He lived in South Buffalo. He's a South Buffalo guy. 
Uh, but he, I think he also started the Naval Top Gun School. Yeah. Yeah, he did. Uh, and he, he came from, I believe, humble beginnings, but he, he changed the course and, and people don't realize like the battle of Midway, how important that was at the time. Um, Cause the Japanese Navy mm-hmm. is coming. It's coming. And, and one of the best navies in the world. The biggest Navy. Biggest. It at the time. The English, it surpassed the English Navy. I want to say in the mid thirties, but, uh, what was funny was people don't realize this either after like for Hitler, uh, the, the Germans, uh, when when he declared war on the United States, which was December eighth, nineteen forty one, the Germans did. Like the, his, his generals called him in, and they looked at him and they're like, "You just declared war on the United States." He's like, "Yeah," and they're like, "How are we going to get there? We couldn't even get to. Eng- I mean, they couldn't even invade England. Yeah. Like, how do you declare war in a country we can't even get to? But the Japanese were a bigger threat in the Pacific because they had the navy and the means to get there. Uh, and that Battle of Midway was really something else. And uh, Wade McCluskey was a, was a huge part of it. And he's a Buffalo guy. Like, I, you know, it's just interesting to find out about mm-hmm. these people, um, getting back to it. Well, the one thing about McCluskey that I've read, mm-hmm. he could have turned right yeah. or he could have turned left. Mm-hmm. The clouds parted. Yep. He followed the wake of the boat, right? The wake of the boat. Yep. They weren't expecting him. Mm-mm. 29 uh, bombers. Yeah. 29 bombers. Torpedo bombers and dive bombers. Came in, and that changes history. Well, Not only changes, World War Two, it changes the war in the Pacific. And I think you correct me if I'm wrong. Again, I haven't read about it in a while. They were switching. The, they, they were switching the planes on the deck. I, I believe they caught them off guard, yeah. and yeah. they they weren't they didn't have the air support over it because they sent them out over. Yeah. So the Japs didn't have the air cover. So yeah. mm-hmm. they hit it perfectly, and the Japs were changing over to yeah. torpedoes. They were or... changing from either dive bombers or torpedo bombers to attack the island of Midway. Yeah. I, 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 again, I don't want to misquote the story, but they hit him at a perfect time, and it's just like, here's a guy, you know, probably walked around these streets and just changed the, the course, you know. The, the, and it's the... unbelievable that we didn't grow up learning about this guy. I didn't grow up learning about him. Uh, How does that happen? I don't know. Uh, especially now with... I bet you kids that are uh, learning remotely. No, they're not learning. What a great, great project! Story. Yeah, for no, a you wonder, kid that goes down the road. You he know? graduated from South Park early. I think he was like sixteen or seventeen, maybe. But does South Park have a thing for him? I don't know. No, I don't think so. I, I mean, and I couldn't find Park? anything. June fourth, nineteen forty-two. Yeah, big uh, day, big day in American history. But it, yeah, big day where you know what that, a great name. Yeah, Wade. I mean, yeah, his I mean, first McCluskey. his first name his <laughs> first name wasn't name right Wade. It was first, Clarence. Yeah, he didn't like being called Clarence. Yeah, yeah. What? Talk about this this fighting style. Krav Maga. Yeah. Yeah. It's not a fight. Well, here's I'll tell what you. What is it's, it's, it's Israeli it's defense? Style. It's 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 Israeli. I think it means in the Hebrew hand to hand combat. But I'll, I'll tell you a story. Of, I I was doing a search warrant um, back in the day and. Um, this this guy we had the we had the house it was winter time I think it was winter time and we had the house uh, we had the house secure and um but we we didn't have the perimeter secure because you know it was late at night and we did this drug raid and uh we were in the house and we had our we were searching the house and these, we had people in custody and um this guy comes walking in the front door and I'm at the end of the hallway and he's probably from me to mark away. For me to mark away, and I'm like, uh, "Hey, man!" And he's looking at me, and I'm like, 
He's looking at me. I'm looking at him. And his right hand's in his coat pocket, right? And I'm like, hey, man. He's like looking at me. I'm looking at him. So I start closing the distance with this guy, you know? I'm like, yeah, come here, man. And I just instinctively go for his right hand. He tries to pull the right hand out of his pocket. And he's got a gun in his hand. He wasn't a cop or anything. He just, I think he was either coming to buy drugs or coming to check up on things. So, like all my other, the guys I work with are, you know, searching the house. You know, not, nobody's really paying attention. I'm in the living room, and I'm this guy's trying to get the gun out of the pocket, and I'm trying to keep it in. And we start rolling around the floor. And, and it, long story short, he had, like, needles in his pocket. It was, it was a nightmare. But uh, it was a pretty good fight, this guy. And he was a wiry dude. And, uh, I, I, again, the way my mind works, I drove home that night. And I'm like, that was terrible. I wish I would have had better better tools to deal with that you know so i went home and it was it was the time when a uh, human weapon was on oh, you remember yeah, that on yeah, history yeah, channel yeah. and these guys would go around and they'd, they'd uh yeah these guys would go around and they'd uh go to all these different areas and they'd teach so the the, the krav maga one was on and i learned about it and it was i think the guy's name was eli lichtenfeld he started it and he grew up around world war ii and he he started this hand-to-hand combat thing and it's very quick and easy it's not like you know some of the other martial arts which I don't even know if it's a, considered a martial art. But, uh, so, yeah, I'm not a trained killer. I went there and I learned to better myself. And I got this, I, I ended up getting a black belt in that with a Muay Thai background years back. But, uh, yeah, that's pretty much Does that. Does that have, like, a spiritual end to it, like other things? Do you know uh, what I mean? Yeah, Some most martial like... arts do. But that that was, <clears throat> they, they, they still train the Israeli military in it. It's very fast. It's very effective. It's, it's, like, it's kind of like a street fighting thing. Or, or mm-hmm. it's quick to learn like they teach it quick and learn that learn and it's just basic things and um the guy has a rest either karate or a judo or a wrestling and judo background he was a, he was an olympian the guy who started it when they found it you know when israel came to be after but uh, it was a really interesting thing to learn yeah now history corn planter familiar yes anybody yeah. yes i saw that um Hatchet recently that George Washington gave him. It's at that. Res- it's at uh, Red Jacket. No, Corn Planter is the chief. Okay, and it was during George Washington times. Yeah, the Hatchet. They said an article about. I that. just I looked at it this past year. It's in. Um, there's a little museum across you from the casino uh-huh. uh, in Salamanca, mm-hmm. and they had, it it made its way back to in the in the hands of the the Native American hands, and it just Corn Planter gave it to Washington. It got lost and burned and whatever. But they said that like he was like the the guy. But it was like Western New York area that all this oh, happened, right? Yeah, yeah, uh, right around, right, right around here. He was the chief of. Don't I, I'm not. I have no I, idea. Know, but like yeah. the Senecas at the time, or who, the the Native Americans at the time around here. Corn Planter was a big name. Other yeah. Red Jacket. You know, you know who Eli Parker is. No. You know who Eli S. Parker is. Mm-mm. You know where he's buried. No. Forest Lawn. Okay. You know who he was? General Grant's aide. You know who else he was? The first Native American Bureau of Indian Affairs head. Uh, he was born like out by Pembroke. You know who he, Eli Parker? I the first I'm hearing of it. Yeah, he was. Uh, he was General Grant's aide in the Civil War, and uh, Grant I think made him the first. I might be wrong on the Bureau of Indian Affairs, but he's a he's from out in Pembroke. You know, fascinating stuff. Getting back to that. Um, and that hatchet, by the way, has a peace pipe on the other end. You know, it has Does a it? Little smoke, a little smoke on the other end. It's a he was an hatchet. innovator. Of course. Right. <laughs> well, I asked you about history. Yeah. I'm fascinated with JFK. It's fascinating. JFK. JFK, yeah. 
Are you talking about conspiracies? No, I don't think it's a conspiracy. Yeah. I think he did shoot at 265 feet. Yeah. It's not that big of a shot. Yeah. I mean, now if you made it with modern weapons. There's only weapon, one man in the world that can make that shot. United States Marine. Who's that? Exactly. But Full Metal Jacket, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I don't know. I, I, you know, I mean, it, I stood it, on the grassy knoll. Dave was on I the was, grassy knoll. I was there. Yeah. I was never there. Do you think it's just so cut and dry because your history and investigative background? The first thing that happens, especially in a homicide or any presidential assassination, what do you think the first thing that happens after it happens? Chaos. Chaos. Right? Chaos. Now, do you know who J.D. Tippett is? Uh, refresh me. J.D. Tippett was a Dallas cop who Oswald killed after JFK. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he tried to stop him on the street. I don't even think he... Now, did J.D. Tippett know he was Oswald? I don't know, but he stopped him, and Oswald turned around, I think he killed him. Yeah. J.D. Tippett. Like, a lot of people don't even know that. Like, you read no up idea. on this stuff, you're like, eh. But uh, the way this stuff went down is, did he hear the radio call and say, oh, here's a guy that looks like could be the guy, I'm going to stop him, and then the, Oswald, I think, shot him with a thirty-eight. Yeah. Am I right or wrong? I, yeah, no, you're right. Yeah, uh... But, like, you see J.D. Tippett, hey, he's a Dallas police officer who lost his life that day. But the the, the craziness that goes on, it, 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 again, now finding the stuff, uh, I don't know. We'll be different now than then. There'd probably be hundreds of videos that they'd be able to look up. That's well, changing uh, everything. And that was yeah. the other thing, like the Zabruder film, most watched yeah. film in the history of film. No, isn't it the Bigfoot film? No. I'm kidding. I, oh, you want to talk about Bigfoot? <laughs> but there was also uh, is this coast to coast. There was a there was, was just a name? podcast. Go ahead, Baseball? Art Bell. Art, Art Bell. There was a podcast. There was a podcast of uh, Woody Harrelson. Uh, Woody Harrelson's dad. He killed a federal judge. Yeah, in Texas. Did you listen to that? I didn't listen to the podcast. Oh, you're I'll send it to you, Danny. Yeah, uh, but it, I mean, yeah. they always suspected because he was involved in some things with Jack Ruby. Uh, with, well, Bay of Pigs and not interrupting you, but wasn't Jack Ruby like he cops hung around uh, hang around his bar or something, right? Jack yeah, Ruby, he was an organized crime guy. Yeah, he got yeah. he had ties who had ties with everyone. Clay Burton, it was Clay it, Shaw. Yeah, it, it, it's kind of like uh, Ruby was kind of like a softball full guy. <laughs> no, he well, oh sure he was okay because he was everywhere. He had friends. He got along with everybody. Jack Ruby was Earl Rod. <laughs> <laughs> Who lived above sluggers? He did. Well, I'll tell you. I, I'll get him. I'm gonna. I'm gonna. We're, we're going crazy here. The, so, the, me and Dave. The, the listeners know Earl Rock because we we explained it. I understand. Yeah. And I'm mentioning Ray McGurn because he likes to get mentioned. But, uh, but uh, hello, Kinger. But anyways, uh, we were living above sluggers, and I was working on a police department. This is a funny story. You don't have to put it in if you oh, don't want. Oh, we but, will definitely but, put it in. There. I'm getting ready. I was working days at Precinct 5, and Dave comes in into my room. Don't think this is anything weird. He's got the union suit on, because I think you are going hunting. I right? was going hunting. He was going hunting. So he's got hunting. the red long johns on, top <laughs> yeah. to bottom, you know, ass trap seat. And know. I didn't come into your room, by you the know, way. I think yeah. it was the kitchen. Let's Whatever. clarify things. I'm in the kitchen. <laughs> I'm getting ready to go to work. I got, like, you know, the cop uniform on with the little 38. And he goes, Dan, there's something. Now, we lived above the bar. We, we're here clunk, clunk down, downstairs in the, into the bar, you know? It's it's 6 in the morning. You know? <laughs> he goes, Dan, there's somebody downstairs. I go, what? He goes, there's somebody down there. So now, you know, the side of the thing. I go, oh, all right. I go, who do you think it is? He goes, I don't know, dude. It's 6 in the morning. Clang, clang, clang. We think there's somebody breaking in, you know? So <laughs> we go down there. You ever, you, ever been in slow? Yeah, 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 yeah. So, so we come out. 
Go ahead. The apartment comes out into the back room, the yeah. dining room area, the higher apartment. You know? Yeah. So I come down, I got the 38. I'm in a police uniform, and I got the little <laughs> pistol out. And Dave's behind me in the union suit, the with, red union suit. With the shotgun. With the shotgun. He's got a little shotgun. <laughs> and I go, and I got the gun out, and now we're looking down into the bar, but you can't see because it's a level up. Right. And, uh, or a rot stocking coolers. It's bartender. <laughs> <laughs> and he, his head comes up like this, you know. He looks. Good up. evening. He goes, "No, here's what Earl sees: me in a police uniform." You had, I think you just had like your pants on and like a white t-shirt, yeah, right? White t-shirt. And I got the union suit on. Yeah. And Dave's got the union suit on, and he looks at us. He goes, "What the hell are you guys doing?" <laughs> and Dave, without like the beat, he freezes. He goes, "What do you guys do? Like, what's going on here?" Dave's in the red thing from like the, you know, the the. the and without missing a beat, Dave tags me and goes, you're it, and runs upstairs. <laughs> what a character. Earl Raymond Rott, yeah. Yeah. Had, I'll tell you, again, I don't want to talk about him. Oh, no. He, hold on. Yeah, it's fine. We laugh about him, but uh, we, we had are. our 30-year reunion from time. And, and um, <laughs> I said, does anybody know where Earl went to high school? <laughs> Nobody knows, but I think he went to South Park. He, but anyways. He did for a time. He did. But uh, we had our 30-year reunion. It, it, somehow or another, he didn't go to high school with us. Just a classic <laughs> Earl Rod story. He winds up on our reunion bus. Oh, of course. He just wound up there. And he hung out with us the whole day. It was great. I love Earl. I, I asked All him once. All his clothes were pressed. I, oh, Absolutely. yeah. Pressed. And yeah. he had, like, Game of Names hangers in his fucking, like, display hangers in his house. Good man, Earl. I asked him once, I go, where did you come from? He goes, well, Jim, I, I started out in Depew, <laughs> and that's where it ends. He lived on, Ju- well, I can tell you, he lived, he lived on Junietta down the street from the Fahey's back in the day. Yeah, yeah. Uh, great guy, great friend. I used friend. to drop him off. Um, we'd go out, and I had my 77 Monte Carlo, 77 and he'd, let Monte. me drive, let me drive, before he had a license, and I'd let him drive up and down Junietta. <laughs> you know what he tells me about the show? He says, Jim, you got to stop giving these stories away for free. <laughs> oh, he's a good so man. So we had to, we had to give him, we had to have an Earl Rot story then. He, uh, if you ever ask him, when we were younger, we would play basketball behind 67, and he accuses me of being a uh, aggressive under the boards, uh, he does a great impersonation of me, but uh, leg whipping people, leg well, I have to FaceTime knocking people this. out, but uh, yeah. Well, I asked you who was the most important person in history last night. I was yeah, texting you texted me, yeah, and again, this could something that could change. It's loaded, yeah, it's a loaded question. Now, talk about Stanislav Petrov. Do you know who Stanislav Petrov is? No fucking clue. You you told me another person that I should know too before I had to pee. Well, <laughs> Father uh, Conway. We okay. talked about okay. him. We'll talk about Father Conway. But uh, I found out about this guy because I think he just died. Yeah, Stanislav Petrov. Uh, he's a Russian red button guy. He's he's got his finger on the nuke. This guy. It's 1983. He's sitting in a Russian nuclear installation. Somewhere in Soviet Russia in 1983. He just died. Look him up. But uh, he's sitting on the... Now, he's he's a member of a military machine where if you if you screw up, you're dead. You know? So he's sitting there, and all of a sudden, his computer, a reliable Russian computer in 1983 <laughs> or whatever it is, says, launch, launch, launch. 
He says he's sitting there and he's watching. And his computer is telling him that the United States just launched six nuclear missiles toward Russia. 1983. Launch. He's watching it. Launch. Launch. He's staring at the screen. His phone starts going off. They're like, he goes, the, 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 the response I was trained for was launch our stuff back at the U.S. He goes, I was thinking about it, and he's looking at it. He's thinking about it. This guy, we don't even know who he is. He's a lieutenant in the Soviet. Never I think heard he was a lieutenant him. or a captain. Did you look him up? I, I think you lieutenant. Like a lieutenant. Yeah. He's just some guy, you know. He's some guy. He's smoking he's cigarettes. He's watching. just hanging out. He's smoking. Yeah. He's like, looks at the thing. Think about giving the order to launch. And he goes, you watch the guy in an interview. He goes, I determined that the computer was not acting properly. <laughs> I decided to tell my superiors the same. And they agreed with me. Could you imagine if this guy was some other dude who was like, huh, they're launching us, I'm launching. That would have been it, 1983. Right. Yeah. That would have been it. No wham. Boris no would have done it. This guy. <laughs> yeah. Wait a minute. Hold on. we got to talk about this. Why is no wham the first thing that came to your mind? Because at 84, what is it, round then? I I, I'm not a big wham guy. You tell me. <laughs> I'm not a wham guy. The other guy in wham. I can't believe. I don't know. He just wrote a book. That's why I seen that. I was at the bookstore the other day. No, you could Wait till you us, see dude, the fucking dude, picture dude, I took. Dude, local dude. favorite wake right me, next to the wham book. Wake me up before you go. go. I will. Let's talk about you walking uh, across the stage, since you're going to fuck with me. Uh, across walking the across the stage, graduating, no hat. They couldn't find a hat for you Well, when you graduated from the police department. I was, I was, t I had a hat. It was <laughs> specially made. But I, you had an earlier guest on here whose family of redheaded people live in the area of Cumberland. They suffer from this malady as well. Oh, huge. Uh, but they're not Not huge. even close to you. No. Uh, John and I have, the oldest member of the family, John, and I for years have laughed about it. But John has, like when I asked John, would you rather win the New York lottery or your head full of nickels? He said, I'd rather win your head full of pennies. <laughs> <laughs> we gave him a hat today, Mark. It Not does even it, close. Done, and it went all the way to the end. It's one of those clip trucker hats. Yeah, it's does, a, not even close. Right? I always, uh, you guys play Little League Baseball? Oh, yeah. yeah. What's the biggest day in Little League Baseball? When you get the uniforms. Get the uniforms. It was always very stressful for me because the hat never fit. So I played uh, for, uh, you guys play, again, guys, I'm, they have PAL. Yeah. Cass. Yeah. Uh, when I was a kid, I played 10, 12. You guys, was Cal alive when you guys were kids? I you remember Cal Dave? Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah. He was a he was a he was my coach. I don't even know if he was alive when you guys were kid because he had to be in his. Uh, he was done for by the time you guys. Yeah, we, we were uh, we were like Cy Bob Williams. Yeah, Bob Williams. Yeah, Cy, yeah. Bobby Williams, great guy. But uh, Cal was my coach for SNS, and uh, I remember it was so awesome. We had the SNS had the uh, green pinstripe, green and white uniforms, green and white uniforms, and hat day comes, and I'm all excited. But I already knew because I played smack for St. Martin's. Uh, Little League, and I never my, the hats never fit me. I always would have to electrical tape the back part <laughs> as a young kid. <clears throat> and uh, the hats come, and everybody's got this shiny new. It was like a green hat with a uh, a shamrock on it. And they're handing out the hats, and I get my hat, and I look at it. I, I know already at ten or eleven years old this this isn't gonna fly. <laughs> so I put the hat on, you know, and it's not. And he's looking at me, and he goes. That hat's not going to fit you. <laughs> so he goes, hold on a second. And now, what did every coach, Little League coach have? A mailbag. 
He goes to the mailbag with all the bats and stuff in it, and he pulls out this head. I think it was from the 30s. <laughs> and it's got like a cutout shamrock on it, you know, like that somebody cut out. And it's all dirty, and it must have been the big headed kid hat that he saved and he gives it to me so like every kid's got a brand new hat my hat's this giant awful hat but uh it followed me through life uh <laughs> this giant head thing that i have and i'm not embarrassed about it. i've accepted it dave wouldn't you say so yes so uh i i go so now it comes time batting you know batting you oh, remember yeah. the blue batting helmets with yeah the two? yeah so i have a vivid memory of one of the coaches i can't remember the guy's name it escapes escapes me now it's you're up to bat, kid, and he, he takes the blue helmet and he's putting it on my head, but it's not fitting. So it was you, you guys all know this too. I'm I'm preaching to the choir. There was always the new batting helmets and then the older ones, you know. Yeah, so no batting. Goes, yeah, well, this is why you may have you may have came after me because he goes down and he takes the helmet and he goes to put it on my head, and even the the old one isn't fitting. And he's got his hand like as a fist, and he's trying to pound it on my head. And it's just not happening. He goes and he starts ripping the foam out of the inside of it. So yeah, fuck put, safety. We got to get this thing on. He puts me up there, and I got like this helmet on like this, you know. Just the way funny things work. But long story short, uh, I get – it was a bad day, the hat day. But I get you know, through the police department. I get measured for the eight-pointer, and the guy's like, he had to call the other guy over, and he's like, look at the size of this kid's head when he did my measurement. But another funny story I got is uh, when I was getting ready to leave the SWAT team, uh, we got new helmets. So we got to go get measured for these helmets. The guy measures me. He's, again, I don't know what's going on. He's looking at it. He's like, <laughs> I'm going to take another measurement. Okay, so these helmets come in. Now, Mark, you work for the fire department. What do you got to do when you get something from the city? Write your name all yeah, over. Yeah, Ryan, it's, no, what do you got to do? Sign the requisition. Oh, okay. So my boss comes out, the SWAT commander, and he goes, hey, guys, the new the new helmets are in, right? I go, cool. He's like, yeah, yeah. He takes the requisition, or he's like, he's like, everybody sign your name next to your name and the size and the serial number. Just check off it all matches and sign it. And he's looking at me, and he's smiling, and I go, what's he smiling about, right? <laughs> so I look down the line. There's 25 guys on the team it's all it's all uh names you know sizes serial number or whatever and then you were to sign your name for the helmet so i look and i look down and it's like you know i'm making up names johnson large korean medium vogel medium barrett medium extra large but it gets to my name what do you think it says in capital letters to have my helmet size real fucking big jumbo <laughs> jumbo <laughs> Couldn't pass that thing along to so, anybody. Huh? Oh, of course. That's a black was, cauldron that they that, made soup That in. thing was put up, you know, it came with a grill cover as a hat. You know. Like, those things fit mostly everybody no, in the world. Yeah. But you wear it well. You can't tell that you have this huge head. Like uh, the other guys that you were talking about, you could tell they have huge heads. Yeah. Maybe it's because they're redheads or whatever. No, they, they do, but they it's, they're just not even the same league as me. It's no, you wear it well. I'm a uh, I'm a clandestine giant head person, but a lot of people know around the neighborhood that I don't I don't the do cranium well. club, the cranium <laughs> club, and you know uh, Andy Nostrand, you guys know Andy? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's a police photographer. He tortured me throughout my police career because, you know, as digital photography came on, mm -hmm. he would he would put pictures of me and he would make my head bigger than it actually really is. <laughs> I actually have a picture I could show you guys, but like it'd be like you me, and then my head would be like enormous. So I got tortured for that. I'm gonna ask. I'm gonna close on this one. Close it out. Eighty-two dollars, four days a week drinking. Yeah, 
That's it's what they, good to have friends. I've who had are, five different people tell you, tell me that it's good to have week. friends who are bartenders. When I worked at OLB as a security guard, I made eighty-two bucks, and some of my <laughs> dear friends were bartenders. So I, I survived on that, right, Davey? Yeah. Well, yeah. yeah. drinks are two bucks back then. Oh, no, they smokes. were dollar fifty. Jeez, dollar twenty-five. How much yeah. was a beer? A month? Jenny was a dollar twenty-five. Yeah. Uh, other beers were buck fifty. Yeah, and muds. Yeah, Mud's pack of smokes five bucks. Mud's mother lived on my street. You know? No, it was a couple bucks for a pack of smokes for you, right? Cerrone's my brother-in-law. Didn't he live above it? We, I tell you, I, I know you guys want to close it, but no, those days yeah. were. I tell you, was, it, was he part of the crew that stole that, took that guy's bike and hung it up there? They put it up on the outside the window over the top of Mud's, <laughs> and it was up there like the Cadillac from, uh, you know that. The bars that have the Cadillac sticking yeah. out. So this guy's like, "Where's my bike?" And it's like right above his head. And it was up there for months. <laughs> that guy's dead now. Yeah, that guy's dead now. Uh, <laughs> he used to come in, it. come in and eat. Order. Can I get two shots of blue cheese? You just do blue cheese. Oh, oh, drink it. Drink it. Why? Oh, I, I told him I'll sell it to you, but you can't do that in front of me anymore. <laughs> That's fucking gross. He's dead now. They stole his bike. But uh, <laughs> I will say this: the differences, and, I, and and Dave will back me up on this. And I'm not saying that when I was a young guy, like in the '90s, which you don't think I don't think that's a long time ago, but apparently now it is. There was hundreds of people, like, like the bars. You'd go to Hoolahans, there'd yeah. be a hundred people in Hoolahans. You walk across the street to Muzz, there'd be a hundred people there. Uh, O'Neill's was going back then. Stanky's was going back then. Mm-hmm. O'Daniel's was around. There was just it just seemed like there was a lot more people. Or I, I, I think you're going to see a resurgence when we unlock. Like when we get back to normal, it's gonna yeah. be on. Yeah, as they say now. Yeah, I, 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 I just think it was weird. Like, uh, th- there's not that traveling bar. Remember how you go? Hey, we're gonna go do a shot across the street. Come back. The camaraderie's not as as much there. Well, what, uh, again, hula hands and muds. I, we call it hula hands. I, I don't know when it was hula hands. In the nineties, right? Eighties, nineties. Yeah. Hula hands. People would run back and forth all night long yeah. between the places. And the bartenders, we used to race to cl- who could close faster so we can get last call. <laughs> I mean, I'll get all you guys last call at Hula Hands. Let's, <laughs> it was yeah, that's literally like right across the street. And we had the go, same thing. You'd go to Stanky's and you'd go to oh, yeah. oh, when O'Neill's was going. I don't even know the years on that one. But uh, it was when I was younger and it was a ton of fun around here. Yeah. Like, granted, it wasn't perfect, but. And there was people like. You just knew all these different ages of people that were out. It was weird. Yeah. I hope that they, like right now, like Bill, talking about like the Bills right now, and, and they're looking good. It's the first time forever since the Super Bowl years. When I, wor- we, I worked at MUDS during those years, and oh. and the people out in the street, like when they wanted to go to the first Super Bowl, I was at actually at Hoolahan's drinking during that game, the Raiders game. And there's there was 100 people out in the street between those bars, high-fiving every car that came from the stadium. You know, coming down, we were all standing out there high fiving everybody coming by, and there's oh probably a hundred people out in the street. This this will cool. be be out be out before uh, the playoff game. And I think these places need fans. they need to be open. Yeah, they need to be. They open. need to, they be, need open. to be open. And I, yeah, if and you're gonna give people to get in the stadium, right? Everybody else needs to be open to it, right? And you know, benefit what? as well. Yeah, I'll say it. I I think uh, if you don't let them in, people aren't gonna forget about it this time. You know, yeah, I don't know what you know. It's just such a catch twenty two. All this stuff going on. This, the, they should be open. The holiday season. This is what carries restaurants yeah. through the next couple months. Definitely, and they're the backbone of the 
employees and people who work there and livelihoods. And we got to hide yeah. out and get locked in to even drink Guinness now. You know, yeah. yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, I'm, I'm fortunate that I don't have to deal with, I mean, I was in the restaurants for 16 years, and man, it, it's a messed up place to be, but now I feel for them. I'm enjoying my vacation, to be honest with you. But I can't wait to see people again, you know? I can't wait to see guys like Danny Robin and Dave Vogel. You don't even get Mark when these guys come in. You don't ask them if they need another one. You just fucking pour it. And and they're gentlemen. And uh, I'm glad that you guys show up today. Well, you talk about that. I know we keep going on, but you learn bar etiquette. We learned when we were young kids. Like, you don't. There were guys we hung around with that never learned it. And they still have them to this day. It's like. It's amazing, isn't it? Well, I, I, I think it goes back to what you were saying about police work in general. You have to be a people person, and I think that's what the restaurant business teaches you. You know, like, yeah. it, it, probably you, you know, being a healthcare worker and, you know, just dealing with people, like, you've dealt with them, you know, your whole life being in a restaurant. And mm-hmm. they, but know. just like police work and, and bar work, if somebody acts up, they, they got to go. Yeah. <laughs> you got to leave, man. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Dave, thank you for everything that you're doing during this, and... Uh, Danny, thank you for everything that you've done over the years. And, uh, thanks for being a patron. Yeah, yeah, thanks for being a patron. Yes, uh, I love it. I support good things. And uh, Danny Rebin, you are now listening to talk. Thank you, and uh, thanks for the hat. Oh, you got it. <laughs> thanks, thanks for stopping by, guys. Thanks a lot, guys. Happy New Year, everyone. Happy New Year. Cheers.